All right, today I also have the privilege to introduce a special guest speaker. He does not really need any introduction, but he is Pastor Daniel Kim, who goes by Dinko. He has been a pastor at Christ Central for many, many years before transitioning over as now the lead pastor at our church plant, Kindred Presbyterian Church. He is married to his lovely wife, Priscilla, and their beautiful daughter, Emery, who are beloved friends of so many of us, and we're thrilled to have him here to bring the word of God to us this morning. Let's welcome him up. Good morning. So glad to be back here at Christ Central. It has been, in, in one sense, I can't believe it's only been uh, six months since we launched Kindred. But on the other hand, it's also like, uh, it's only been six months, right? So, uh, you know, it's already been six months. It's only been six months. So glad to be here at our mother church, Sending Church Christ Central, to bring the word of God. Uh, today, we're, we'll be reading from Philippians chapter 1. And I did want to give a little bit of context to the book of Philippians. We're going through Philippians uh, at Kindred. And Philippians is a uh, letter of the Apostle Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit, where he is writing to a church that he had helped plant in the city of Philippi. He is also writing this letter from prison as well. So I jokingly said uh, earlier that this is kind of like if Pastor Harold wrote a letter to Kindred, right? This is what we're kind of reading in Philippians chapter 1. So if you could turn there uh, in Philippians chapter 1, you could turn there in your Bibles, in your apps. It'll also be projected for you overhead. Philippians chapter 1, starting from verse 21. I'll read this for us, and let's give our attention and reverence, for this is the reading of God's word. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have. This is God's word. I'm wondering if moving forward will help a little bit. Uh, the title of this church is, uh, sorry, the title of this sermon is Church Plant Progress, as you see on that big old slide. And the reason for that is twofold. Uh, first, I will spend some time giving you a little bit of an update on the progress of our church plant, Kindred. But secondly, this is also a reference to our passage in verse 25, specifically in which Paul speaks, speaking to the church he helped to plant, saying uh, that he cares about the church's progress and joy in the faith. Uh, 
And so we'll be talking about a little bit of both. I'll, I'll share a little bit about Kindred, but really my time spent here is meant to be about Christ Central, right? So first a little update about the progress of the church plant. Uh, first and foremost, it is important to recognize we are still in the very early phases of our church plant. As I mentioned earlier, it's only been a little under six months since we launched. And yet, I say this with no exaggeration, and, and everyone, anyone who asks me has already heard this from me, that the Lord has truly been doing more than we could ask or imagine uh, as we have launched Kindred. Uh, I'm not going to even attempt to say that Korean phrase that Harry just shared, but I am one of those lucky people who gets to have that front row seat, seeing it firsthand, just uh, the, the blessings and the benefits and, and the awesome things that the Lord does through the planting of new churches. Uh, if you've been here at Christ Central for even, I would say, even a year, you have probably heard, or you probably recall Pastor Harold and myself coming up on this stage and vision casting, sharing about why we are going to church plant. Uh, you may recall different reasons, different statistics that we gave you. We talked about how new churches help uh, people really take ownership of their church and step up for the sake of their church. And I'm so grateful that I got to see that from so many wonderful people whom you also know as well who got sent out by this church. But perhaps more importantly, for the sake of the kingdom of God and the mission of the church, as it is, Missions Month, uh, we, you may recall hearing statistics about how new churches are positioned in such a way to reach non-Christians or those who have perhaps stepped away from the faith for multiple reasons, right? Because of uh, just sure, because, surely because of the newness of the church or even size or uh, it's less intimidating. And I'm here to tell you, Truly, that it's not merely a statistic, that we are witnessing it firsthand, what the Lord does through the planting of churches. Uh, truly, the greatest wins for the kingdom of God and, and great reminders for us of why we even launched in the first place uh, are many people. I, I could think of just even like seven individuals or even families uh, who have not been to church in years. And that, you know, you're probably thinking, well, because of the pandemic, a lot of people haven't been to the church in years, but I'm talking even prior to the pandemic. Uh, and it took the launching of a new church for them to say, you know what? It's probably time that I go back to the church. But more importantly, it's probably time I come back to the Lord. Uh, out of those like seven or so individuals or families I'm thinking of, uh, one person I'm thinking of is a young woman who is not a Christian at all. And she grew up in the church, but as a teenager she left the faith and by the grace of God she ended up at Kindred and not only at Kindred but she also ended up in our intro group at Kindred which is a small group Bible study that I lead for those who are new to Kindred uh, basically those who are not from Christ Central and you know we had our first meeting and you know everyone's doing their introductions and she opened by saying I'm not a Christian so it's a big deal that I'm here and I was like, Abs you are absolutely right. It is a big deal you're here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your courage and openness in coming to this like Bible study with the pastor as a non-Christian. And I pray the Lord would continue uh, a good work in her as she continues at Kindred. I think of another brother uh, who had told me that he had not been to church in five years. And uh, going to church was not on his radar at all anymore. He had no desire to do so. But a few weeks back, I, I had coffee with him, and 
he had shared with me, if he told me even just a year ago that I'd be having coffee with a pastor, I would say you're lying. And I was like, well, then I'm so glad you're having coffee with a pastor. And uh, he, he too has now signed up for our following intro group, and I'm so grateful for that. And I share these things uh, because I want to affirm you as Christ Central, as the sending church, that I, I say this without any exaggeration, that these things and, 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 the, the, and many more like these people, these things happened because Christ Central sensed and heeded the call to launch a new church. And so I want to affirm you of the power, the blessing of church planting. And it's a reminder too, like Lord willing, of course, only by the grace of God, Kindred's not meant to be a one-off, right? Uh, Christ Central's vision is to continue planting churches, to continue sending. So I hope all of you in here are not thinking of being Christ Central lifers, right? Some of you may be sent one day to launch a new church. And of course, the prayer is for kindred to do so as well as we grow and mature as a church. And once again, we recognize uh, this is only the beginning phase for kindred. And so we, we humbly continue to ask, keep praying. We ask that you keep praying for us. Keep rooting for us from all the way across the 91 freeway, right? Uh, we need your prayers. We need to pray that the mission of God continues to be uh, accomplished at our church and that we continue to love and care for the people, people like the two I mentioned earlier. And of course, this is something we care about and want to pray for, not only for kindred or not only for church plants, but for Christ Central as well. I want to shift the focus a little bit now to the mission of Christ Central as we consider the gospel reaching, the gospel shining for all who walk through Christ Central's doors. As I mentioned uh, in our passage in Philippians, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to a church he helped to plant. And he's writing this letter from prison. So he's actually thinking about uh, his, the potential, the very real possibility that he might die. And as he writes from prison, as he thinks about even death, he says in verses 23 to 25, I am hard pressed between the two, the two being life and death. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Basically, Paul's saying, if I die here in prison, I get to be with Jesus. And that's far better. That's the best. But it's necessary for me to stay to be alive and to remain for the sake of the church and for the sake of her mission. Paul recognizes he is still on mission. Thank you, Harry, once again, for reminding all of us that whether you're in Cambodia or in Fullerton, you are on mission. And although there's nothing better than being in heaven face-to-face -face with Jesus, there's still something left for Paul to do, and there's still something left for all of us to do here on this earth. We still have this mission. And you may have heard it said before that uh, mission is the one thing, the one Christian thing that we won't be doing in heaven. There's going to be worship in heaven, of course. There's going to be community in heaven. We're still going to love each other in heaven. 
but there will no longer be mission because there's no, no more uh, enemy in, in heaven, right? There's no more Satan in heaven. There's no more lost people that need to be found in heaven. And so that's what remains for us to do here on this earth. Yes, worship, community, so important. That's why the church exists. But the big thing that we are, the, the reason we remain, as Paul says, is so that we could remain on mission. Paul gets that. He wants to stay alive for the sake of that. He wants to stay alive for the progress and joy of the church, as he says. And how will the church make progress and find the fullest of joy as we stay on mission? I think we see it immediately afterwards in our passage. Right after Paul says that. I'm going to remain. I need to stay alive because I still have a mission to fulfill. I'm going to remain for the sake of your progress and joy in the faith. He goes on to say in verses 27 to 30. I won't read all of this for you, but I have emphasized certain parts in this long passage from verses 27 to 30. I want to emphasize, he says, in one spirit with one mind, he uses this word striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This word striving can also mean contend. It can also mean just quite literally fighting. And then he goes on to say, and not frightened by your opponents. He goes on to say later in that passage, uh, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. It has been granted to you that you not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had. And now still have. These are hard words. Calling God's people to hard things. Quite simply we would say. Paul is calling the church. To suffer with him. For the gospel. To do hard things. For the gospel. And that's how the church. Will have progress. And joy in the faith. Paul is not urging some kind of masochism like we're supposed to seek suffering and like want suffering and like suffering. But he is saying you better be willing and growing in that. That willingness to do hard things for the sake of Jesus Christ. Because that's what being on mission means. Being on mission means a struggle. It means a battle. Thank you once again. I'm thanking Harry a lot today. Thank you for your thoughtful song choice. As we even sang that song about uh, we're in a battle that God has already won. But, you know, I want to encourage you to also consider not over-spiritualizing the idea of a battle. Yes, we have a battle with Satan. That's spiritual, right? We have a battle with our own sinful hearts. That's, that's, that's true, and that's spiritual. We have a battle in, uh, against the selfishness in our hearts, the fear in our hearts. But I do not want to downplay that this battle for the sake of the gospel may very well be also against people. That the opponents that Paul speaks of, the battle we speak of, the contending, the striving that we speak of from Philippians 1 might very well come in the form of people as well. People and their worldviews, people and their messages, their non-gospel messages. And that's something we must consider. Because, you know, the Philippian church, they had opposition, of course, yes, from Satan, yes, from sin. Those are all real oppositions. But they also had opposition from people. They had opponents within the church, 
you know, people who were creating disunity, hostility. They had opponents outside of the church, as you could probably imagine, in 2,000 years ago, in, in early, uh, in ancient Rome. This was not a Christian government, uh, and, and Christians were a heavy minority, and they had opponents outside the church walls as well. And, you know, if you think about it, it's not too much different now, right? Uh, it's, of course, every church faces some hostility, hostility and disunity within its walls. But, of course, every church now and in the last 2,000 years has faced hostility from outside the church's walls. Nowadays, uh, you know, we might even be considered or labeled or thought of as immoral because of holding to Christian stances and worldviews. You know, in my short lifetime, uh, in my memory, I want to say like 20 years ago even, if you held firmly and, and, and you know, uh, were op- if you were open about your Christian beliefs, you may have been viewed as weird or old-fashioned perhaps. Uh, but I would say, yeah, nowadays it's actually possible that because of your Christian beliefs, you might be viewed as a bad person. It might be actually viewed as immoral. Uh, I'm sure you've seen different little news stories about different celebrities or famous people. There's not a whole lot of them, but some of them who are very open about their beliefs and people try to cancel them, right? And when we hear things like that, when we think about things like that, it should not shock us. It should not startle us. It should not even anger us because 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ called it. He said, this will happen to you. The world will hate you because of me. And now also shortly after, here comes the apostle Paul saying, here's progress and joy in the faith. Suffering with me for the gospel, facing opposition, not being frightened of your opponents, striving, contending, fighting that battle. Now, before you take uh, what I'm saying about fighting and contending and striving uh, the wrong way, I do want to make very clear, the way we fight, even against human opponents, is not the way the world fights. We don't fight the way like we see on uh, media and the news and politicians. We don't fight in a way that is militant or aggressive and, or definitely not physical. But I, I want to point you back to a very well-known passage, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, where it says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense. Right? The word defense here implies people will attack you for your faith if you're clear about it. A defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And of course, super clear, gentleness and respect stands out so much, especially because I underlined it for you. Gentleness and respect. We are not to fight this battle for the sake of the gospel in any other way than with gentleness and respect. But I also want to encourage you that does not mean uh, we, we, we're passive and we like, <laughs> gentleness does not mean we're, we're scared and, and we don't ever say anything. Gentleness means as you say something, you do it respectfully, you do it sensitively, you do it strategically, you think about the timing, you think about what's appropriate, but you do say it, 
You do say, ultimately, who Christ is, what he's done, who he is to you, the gospel. I've, I've given this challenge to my kindred brothers and sisters as well, and, and this doesn't, you don't have to be a church plant uh, to, to receive this. This is a challenge I, I give to any church, specifically to Christ Central. I want to challenge every single person here, rather every single Christian in this room. Uh, steer one conversation this week. This week, not next month, this week. Steer one conversation in a spiritual direction. Why do I say steer a conversation in a spiritual direction? Because we got to recognize, you, you can't just come out guns blazing, right? You can't just come out and just say, here's the gospel, Jesus died for you, this, that, right? You got you to, let's, let's take it one step at a time, right? Even before you invite someone to church, just steer one conversation in a spiritual direction. Just one. Think about one person with whom you can do that this week. That is my challenge, my encouragement to you. And as we look, continue to look at 1 Peter, I do want to emphasize this too. It says, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And there's a lot of implications that you can take from that phrase, honor Christ the Lord as holy. But one thing I do want to say is, as you think about that one person, as you think about maybe more than one person with whom you want to share the gospel, we do it while honoring Christ the Lord as holy. We do it while saying, Christ, you are the one. Jesus, you are the one who has the power to save. You are the one that could change a heart. No matter how, much, how many words I say, no matter how strong I say it, it's you that's going to be the one who draws someone back to yourself. And we honor Christ the Lord as holy as we do it. We recognize we're not the ones who are going to change anybody. We're simply the messengers. We're simply the instruments. And if, if, if we're honoring Christ the Lord as holy as we think about that one person, I think a very practical application is we're going to pray for that person. We're going to ask God, God, you need to do that work. Prepare that person's heart even now to receive your gospel, to be drawn near to you. You may have heard it said before, before you talk to people about God, talk to God about people. Before you, you steer one conversation even in a spiritual direction, talk to God about that person. Talk to God about that conversation. Pray. Honor Christ the Lord as holy. Commit to praying for someone. Saying, I, I would love to see that person receive this treasure of the gospel that I have, that I get to have and that I get to give. But pray also that you'll be ready for opposition. Because our passage in Philippians is crystal clear. As you offer that wonderful treasure of the gospel, as you hold it out, as you shine that light, as you steer conversations and hopefully lead conversations even to the gospel, as you lead people to your church, there's going to be people who oppose you. That's the point, right? There will be opposition. Satan's not going to like you, that's for sure. But some people might not either. And pray you'll be ready for that opposition. And as Paul, uh, as Paul says this in the, in the book of Philippians, as he says, you know, strive for the gospel, contend with me for the gospel, suffer with me for the gospel. He, notice that he starts by saying in that passage in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And the reason I want to point this out is because 
in the original language of the New Testament, the Greek, that, that verb, let your manner of life, is a very unique word that he uses. Uh, he doesn't really say this word often. And uh, this is a word that quite literally means live as a citizen. Live as a citizen worthy of the gospel. You, in the Greek, it's polyteomai. You might notice that prefix poly, we see it in English as well. It often refers to things like cities, government, politics, right? And he's saying, live as a citizen worthy of the gospel. It's kind of weird. Why does he say that? And what we have to recognize is the, the city of Philippi was a Roman colony that was very proud of their Romanness. They were very proud that they get to be citizens of Rome. And so Paul knows that's going to strike a chord with them. And he says, live as a citizen, not worthy of Rome, but worthy of the gospel. Because he's getting at, you know, like, I know all of you would do anything for Rome. You would, you would live for Rome. You would die for Rome. It is worthy to you. How much more worthy is the gospel? In other words, you can live in a manner worthy of the gospel because the gospel is worthy of your whole life, even if it should lead to suffering, even if it should lead to hard things. You know the thing about suffering? As much as we rightfully want to avoid suffering, right? No one should want more suffering in their life. As much as we don't like it and avoid it and, and do what we can to not have suffering in our lives, the reality is, if you love something, if you like something even enough, you will suffer for it. Any, any golfers in here? I, I think uh, it's always safe to, in a, this kind of church context, there's going to be a good amount of golf lovers, or at least you're related to one. And, you know, it's funny. I recently had two encounters with two different people who love golf that totally impressed this idea onto my heart. One of them was, uh, it was actually the, golfer, the golf lover's wife, where she was kind of jokingly complaining to me. She was saying, you know, my husband... He's always complaining about how hot he is in the house. And so he always cranks up the AC. It's like freezing. I'm shivering. But he's like, oh, it's still too hot. But he'll golf in 100-degree weather all day, all day. And he's fine, always eager to go golfing, even when it's 100 degrees. Another golf lover I encountered, a member of Kindred, actually, he had food poisoning. He, he told me he was throwing up all morning. And then he went golfing immediately afterwards. I and I think he was fine. It like healed him, actually. <laughs> you know, I'm not knocking these guys for loving golf. It's not a bad thing. In fact, we have a, a collaboration, right? CCSE Kindred Golf Tournament coming up at the end of this month. Great thing to support our missionaries, raising money for our missionaries. So I'm not knocking the love of golf. But what these two golf lovers showed me is that if you love something, if you love something enough, if something is worthy enough in your heart, you will do hard things for it. You will endure suffering for it. How much more worthy is the gospel? Much more worthy than golf or any other hobby I love? Much more worthy than the, the city or the country I love? How much more worthy is the gospel? And the gospel is not only worth suffering for, 
But the gospel is actually the only worldview that can give us real, true, lasting hope and joy, even in the midst of suffering. Because the gospel tells us we have a God who takes our suffering so seriously that he entered into suffering willingly. He didn't have to, but God would enter into our suffering to put suffering ultimately to an end, but also to give us the strength to endure it while we live on this life here on earth. And God himself in the person of Jesus Christ, would suffer by becoming a human being. He would do hard things, and he would suffer hard things. Things that we know all too well, like the frustrations of life, loneliness, fear, loss, even death itself for him on a cross. And he would actually experience suffering that you and I could never experience. He would suffer the loss of perfect fellowship with his heavenly Father, he would face the wrath of God as the, as the only person in the whole universe who doesn't deserve it. And he did it so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we can now call God our father, that we could be beloved children, that we could have this treasure of being his people, of belonging to him. And not only do we get to be his, we get to represent him now too because of this gospel. We get to have and hold out this gospel. And it is a gospel worth suffering for. And the beauty is, when you suffer for the gospel, when you're willing to suffer for the gospel, Paul tells us that's when we find progress and joy in the faith. May Christ Central continue to do hard things for the gospel. You know, you've already done one really big hard thing very recently by sending out 70 of your members to start a new church called Kindred Presbyterian Church. And let's keep doing hard things together for the kingdom, even if it should bring opposition, suffering, maybe even hatred. It will be worth it because the gospel is worth it. Let's pray. Could I ask you guys actually at this time to, as you pray, to... Talk to God about people before you talk to people about God. I hope you all thought of at least one person with whom you want to steer a conversation into a spiritual direction, with whom you want to ultimately share the gospel. Could you pray for that person now? Maybe it's more than one person. Could you pray for them now at this time? Let's do that all together, and I'll close this after some time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this treasure that gets to be ours, that we get to have as our own, and that we get to share freely with our neighbors, with our friends, with our family members who need it, who don't have it. Lord, I pray that you continue to cause us to glory in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it would be so worthy in our eyes that sufferings and opposition for the sake of the gospel would truly pale in comparison to the joy, the progress, the beauty, the hope, the rest we have because of Jesus' finished work on that cross. Oh, Lord, help us to all continue to heed this call to reach many more with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know it's you who makes that happen. 
It's your Holy Spirit that saves souls. Lord, use us as your instruments, we pray. Use Christ Central as your instrument, we pray. In Jesus' name.